What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another uh, astonishing edition of Panel Perfect. I, as always, am your Jedi Master and host, Max Malecki, and with me is my faithful Padawan, Alex Pappas. So handsome. Oh, so many things. The sky, mostly. And uh, we are joined today by a wonderful person, uh, director and editor, and he runs the Alex Theater in Glendale, uh, Colin Perkins. Ooh, thanks for having me on. Can we point out we have a real-life superhero on our hands? A, re- a real-life superhero? I'm looking right at him. I'm, you're looking right at me, okay. This beautiful face and beard. The man who, if you did not call that ambulance, unless we can't talk about this. I, I, can't, I can't officially talk about this. Okay, uh, so this allegedly happened because superheroes are of legend, or is that not enough separation? I, I don't. I don't know what the, what the best uh, best best way of putting it. There, a, a person of interest had a heart attack, and I was another person of interest who made a call to get said person aid. I think that's what I can leave it at there. Okay, I, I, yeah, I, let's yeah, not I, dig I into it. I think this is a good sort of... <laughs> he saved a man's head. life, damn it. Okay, I, it, it assist, assisted. Assistant was involved in the process. Involved in the process of, of saving of a, a man's life. Um. I think we can safely say, and this is a good transition point, I think, that uh, if there is a certain comedian and filmmaker that you know of who loves Star Wars, he had a heart attack... And we have a person this year there who may have been instrumental in saving them from such a fate. So uh, give a Colin a round of applause if you ever see him on the street. You can always tell him by his luscious beard and striver's cap. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is, uh, I guess, a great transition point into sort of uh, our two questions that we ask every guest on our fine program. Uh, first of all, what do you think of calligraphy? Calligraphy. Um, you know, I was not a fan of, of cursive, which I feel is derivative uh, of it. Uh, however, calligraphy, I, I received a book on calligraphy when I was 10 years old. And I took my, I tried my hand at it. I was not good. Um, so I have mad respect for the art form. And uh, it is, it's beautiful. I think it's under, underappreciated. And I, I think people should... Uh, talk about it, say, at 45-minute to hour-and-a-half intervals weekly. Uh, that's just my personal preference. I don't find them very creative. I feel like they're just mimicking things that they've already seen and then using said style to write more things that are words that have already exist. I don't find it as an art form. I find it as a tool. Some may call it martial art, but even so, in a martial art, you have to adapt where when writing a sentence, you're sold into the confines of words that you're copying and taking and putting them on a page. You're like, you're like an inker, you're a tracer. Fuck yeah, you are. You're a tracer, okay. I wonder where they store the ink. Is it like an ink tank of some kind? It very well could be. Well, it comes in like a little little tank. You do it with the brush, and you, you do like the old brush and stroke pattern. It's supposed to be very therapeutic. You know what? If That's I learn I that in calligraphy there's solely... A device referred to as the ink tank, I might reel back a little bit. <laughs> Just maybe. They, However, if they saw it as a genius pun that they may have seen, like other writings that is calligraphy, and then moved on to do it themselves yet again, well, my, my friend, they're solely 
feeding to the vicious cycle that is calligraphy. You know, they say it is, it's therapeutic. They sometimes recommend it that way. And I, I think some of these, this anger that, that you're feeling could maybe be worked out with, with a, with a bout of calligraphy, uh, you know, therapeutic, medically prescribed calligraphy. And I'd only write two words, Colin. You know what they would be? Thank you. Panel perfect. Ah. Oh. Man, I love how I think... At the time of recording, at least, Colin, I think, is the first person to come into this with foreknowledge of what happened with the name. Oh, that was amazing. All right, let's move on. <laughs> You're a such a bit. producer. I love it. You're like, all right, cool, you did your bit. Let's yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, kids, you've had your fun. <laughs> so it's kind of our second question that we ask um, everyone who comes through here. Colin, it's kind of, what's your history with comics? Like, is there a comic that really, like, got you on board with comics as a medium? Or was, like, the first comic you had? Like, what kind of sold you on, like, I like comics? Um, I, well, I can remember my first comic. Um, I was five years old uh, at the checkout line at Pick and Save, uh, which is a budget grocery store in the Midwest. And I saw a Mighty Morphin Power Rangers comic book adaptation and I begged my mother to uh to, to give me a copy back because I had never seen this this uh intriguing medium I had only seen the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers on television um I picked it up and uh I didn't really like read a lot of comics growing up but the fascination that I have is how certain mediums are adapted and expanded on a comic so I don't watch I don't I, don't, I read a lot of stuff that is original uh, comics world only material it's stuff that started off in another medium and then uh, got adapted um, and one of the my favorite ones actually in that is they did a multi-part graphic novel of uh, uh, Django Unchained based on Quentin Tarantino's original script uh, where each section of the story was done by a different artist um, so I've got that that's one of the ones that comes to mind where I'm like that Sometimes I'll start to read them and I'll put them down. I'll go back and forth, back and forth. That one I read all the way through. Um, and then a few of the other like adapted materials I've, I've been, like sat through in one sitting. So all the, the Firefly material, Serenity, the, the before and after uh, Firefly uh, world uh, is one, one of the other ones I really like. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I feel like a lot of people, uh, you know, have the story where they're like, oh, yeah, I read a few, you know, when I was a kid, and then I kind of didn't really mess with them too much until, like, college, high school, that kind of era. And I feel like it's, it might be two things, and let me know if this was your experience, like, just, you know, when you're in high school, your mind's a little bit more developed, you're able to pick up on a lot more of the nuances in a piece of writing, a lot of the more character pieces, a lot of the things that the author is trying to convey, and then you're also able to appreciate the art a little bit more at that time. And I think like high school and college is also when you're like branching out with your own interests, kind of finding your own path, and I think that's why a lot of people discover comics or go back to comics uh, at, around that age. Yeah, I think I think that's a, that's a good point because it it's something where when when you're a kid it's just bright bright colored uh, and you, you don't really have disposable income to really get invested in it either. It's a matter of like, can you convince somebody to purchase this for you? And if you don't have family members that are that are into it, which I nobody in my family I was aware of really ever read comics or had much of an awareness outside of the Sunday the Sunday funnies. 
Um, so it was something that, yeah, definitely found it later in life because uh, even even the self-contained stuff uh, where you just could buy one volume of it, uh, you still had to invest that time. And, you know, it, 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 it is a, an investment even with the book sharing aspect of it. You want to have something to trade uh, whenever you do share books. So. No, yeah, and it's very, I think, interesting, especially nowadays, that comics are still somewhat regarded as, like, for kids. Like, oh, kids love comic books. Like, kids at heart love comic books. Like, I feel like that's a lot of thi of uh, ways people would describe it. But when you think about a lot of the sort of the key comics, you know, the stuff that's really, like, celebrated as good writing and, like, Great examples of the medium. I wouldn't say any of that is for kids. Like, if you look at something like, you know, Dark Knight Returns, like, it run, I don't know how many awards, but you actually read that. It's like Batman swearing, there's blood, there's tons of violence. It's a very, very dark book. Like, if you gave that to a kid, they would probably be terrified by it. Like, that is not even a little bit for kids. And, you know, I think it's just... The way the medium has always been, but, you know, there's long-standing stereotypes about it. Just mean, you know, in, if it has Batman on the cover, it's like, oh, that's for kids. When really, like, even in his original incarnation, Batman was for adults. Like, I remember in the old, like, um, like pulp magazines that they used to run Batman in, Batman was like an old noir detective. Like, he used a gun. He killed people. In the original Batman comics, like, Batman was for adults. Batman was for, like, you know, G.I.s and, like, 20-year-olds who were buying comics at the newsstand on their way home from work. Uh, yeah, no, I think it's when... I, it, when you respect material and take it seriously, you respect your audience as well, though. And I think they're... I mean, even look at the, you know, Batman animated series. I don't think that ever intended to just be a kid's show. I think it's... If we respect this material, um, and and I think this is something Mister Rogers fucking did, and I know it's interesting to bring. I know he has no connections to comic books. He respected his audience though, and he spoke to them with that respect. And kids were able still to respond. Something we don't get. And I, I think obviously you can widen your audience in that respect. Um, and I mean, I, or you know, you can even look at uh, the Ninja Turtles. I mean, when Eastman came out with that. That book was not meant for kids. Like, they had to do a lot of retconning and messing around to make that a toy in a cartoon. Um, but it's just that good stuff, when you respect the material, the audience will respond. Um, even though Teenage Mutant Turtles did amazing regardless. Oh, yeah, exactly. You know, it's weird to think that, like, four cartoon turtles who speak in surfer lingo and fight robots were once, like, a gritty parody of Daredevil... And they kill Shredder in the first issue by throwing him off a building. Oh, yeah. And you see him in, like, a bloody hunk on the ground. But, um, yeah, and I think this is also a good, another good uh, transition point into today's topic. Uh, Colin, I know you're a huge Star Wars nerd. I remember you telling me that you've, like, been into Star Wars since you were a kid. You've read all the books. You've, like, seen everything there is to see in the expanded universe. And you have some Star Wars comics that, uh that you want to talk about with us. And I always thought that these were these were interesting because I remember seeing, like, a few of the old ones from, like, the 70s. And I, I just want to say, like, have you read into the original ones? Like, how do they compare to the movies? Well, what was kind of interesting about when Star Wars came out is that basically they 
around around the time the movie came out, uh, they gave the the licensing rights to Marvel Comics, and they did what was I believe a six part starting series that basically reiterated the movie, uh, and it was already and uh, already off kind of a weirder start uh, just by comparison to the movie because they based it on. Uh, a combination of George Lucas's script at the time and then also the way he was editing Star Wars, uh, which if anybody, there's a, a video I'd recommend uh, called How Star Wars Was Saved in the Edit, um, where basically three editors had to come in and chop the movie apart and put it back together because the movie had all these scenes and all this extra hours of footage that didn't make any sense. But the Marvel comics started based on that edit. So if you uh, read the the original the original number one that I was, I was kind of showing you guys a little bit of earlier, um, the, it actually does the the odd the weird cutaways to the portions of the story in in the in the in the movie that we aren't seeing going on. Um, it shows the story in some ways as it was meant to be told in the seventies. Uh, there's written ver ver verified proof that they're uh, you know. Han, Han did shoot first, for example. Uh, there, there was no McClunky. There was none of this. Um, and even like like an early version of Jabba the Hutt that didn't match up to anything else in the canon. But then they took that on after it was finished, and they kept with a like a monthly uh, comic series that just it kind of was like a fifty fifty mixed bag. And there are some fans that have very mixed feelings about like what they introduced in there some of the side characters were just bizarre um but some of the concepts that they introduced early on were really cool and were expanded on and like the uh i'm gonna slaughter the pronunciation name the gedney tartakovsky uh, clone wars took some concepts out of it where they were like oh fighting in space like literally they put on spacesuits and they fight on starships uh and, and it was sort of the continuing adventures of luke han and leia after they save uh, the rebellion and how does this affect uh, you know how does the fall the, the start of the fall of the empire begin to affect everyone um so yeah there was a lot of cool concepts that were explored in that it's, i don't have uh, I, I haven't been able to peruse all the volumes of it i've only kind of seen selections and then there are like the bizarre sides of it like one of the continuing characters for the longest time was a green six foot tall rabbit named jackson <laughs> and Jackson was a rabbit with an attitude, uh, and he hung out. He was best friends with Han Solo. Um, he had a, uh, a ship, I believe, it was called the uh, the Rabbit's Foot. Um, and there's literally one. I think it was an introductory issue where it's him kicking another like mercenary uh, down and like shooting him and yelling, "I ain't no rodent." <laughs> Just very well aware he's a rabbit. Very well aware that he's a rabbit and very sensitive about it. Um, Man. okay. I don't know his backstory. Like, I don't know how that came. Maybe the lab experiment or something. But it was like it was very distinctly said that he was a rabbit, and he just hung out with Han Solo, and that was like that was his thing. Did they not have the rights to Chewbacca or something? Like, <laughs> no, Chewbacca was in with it too. <laughs> Chewbacca, Jackson, Han Solo, Luke Skywalker. They all just they got in misadventures and. He was never referenced in the movies, <laughs> even though at the time that was part of the canon. I see. Now there's one scene I saw, and this is when they did that Blu-ray release of all six at the time. Yeah. Um, there's a scene where Luke's on Tatooine after he, you know, bitches about his power converters and Tashi stations. Um, that he kind of walks off. A, we see 
the other chick in the fucking universe that got edited out. But more importantly, he bumps into Dax, and he's like, oh my god, he's like, I thought you were at the Academy, like, what are you doing here? Like, how was it? Are you a pilot now? And Dax is like, oh no, I'm in the Rebellion. He's like, what? He goes, yeah, no, he's like, I learned how to fly a plane with the Imperial, with the, and then this is where you find out, with the Imperial Army, and he goes, but then I, de- you know, I uh, defected and went to the, the Rebellion. I was just like, I get why this scene wasn't in here, because it's very expositional, and it doesn't make sense until you've watched the whole movie. But it was like, A, I was like, like which it should have been obvious to me, like, oh, the Academy Luke's trying to go to is with the Empire. But I was like, oh, shit. And this is him first hearing about the Rebellion. And it's kind of, and I think he does like, oh, yeah, the Rebellion later in the movie, which, you know, maybe, obviously, as an editor, you're like, that's going to be well known if there's a war going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm almost curious now, I want to look in these books and see if that scene is in there. And it is. It is? So, oh, shit. So what basically the way that they, they wanted Star Wars to open was it was the, the opening ship battle, and then it cut to Luke on the ground seeing it as a farmer, and then oh. it would cut back to C-3PO and R2-D2 getting into shenanigans trying to avoid being caught, and then they'd eject, and then it cuts to them on the Taji station, and he's like, oh, I saw a battle going on up there, and uh, Dax comes out, and he's like, oh, there's nothing going on up there. What are you talking about? And then they go into exposition, exposition. Cut to C-3PO and R2-D2 wandering in the desert, meeting Jawas, etc. Cuts back to Luke and Dax after clearly a few drinks. Um, and there he's talking all about, oh, I'm going to jump ship at the next place and I'm going to join the Rebellion. Uh. Um, and then cuts into C-3PO and R2-D2 being delivered and then what the farm they're delivered to. But it added, like, uh, the, you can watch the scenes online. I think they yeah. added them with the Disney Plus came out, come, coming out. You can go watch them on Disney Plus. Oh, they, with those added scenes? Well, not with the added scenes. But They're still watch, separate. Yeah, you can still watch them, though. Um, and, yeah, it was it was just bizarre back and forth. And it just, it was based on the premise of, like, trying to introduce the protagonist earlier on. Which, if you think at the time, for Star Wars being as big as it is, for how late in the game the, the protagonist is introduced in the in the first movie, you're supposed to have your protagonist in like the first five minutes. Yeah. Um, and you don't meet Luke until I think almost twenty plus minutes into the movie. Um, you know, it, it's just a C three PO and R two D 2s misadventures, and you meet Darth Vader and Princess Leia, and you meet all these characters that are essential to the story, but they're not the ones that are guiding it anymore they're not the ones that whose eyes you're supposed to be seeing it through and then once luke joins the story it's like oh we're all supposed to like associate more with the fish out of water story that he is mm-hmm. um so they were worried that the audience wouldn't grasp that he was coming like, don't worry they're your your character the one who is like what's going on here explain this to me we're gonna put him in um, but it, they found out you know you can just do it visually and 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 get it away get <laughs> what away a concept <laughs> yeah but I, that's what I think I love the most about Star Wars is the world around it and the mechanics to it, which I know, obviously, you go into episode one, it's like, I didn't need to know that much mechanics of it, but <laughs> it's, and, like, the Mandalorian, like, it's, because I was talking to someone, like, oh, it's Exposition City, and I'm like, I'm okay with that. I just want to see more world of Star Wars, and it, it almost adds to the fact when he's, like, looking out into the two suns, which, oh, I love that fucking score, um, him looking, it's like, there's this whole world out there that we've already seen. I'm like, kid, you have no idea what you're missing out on. And it just makes it so much more exciting when he starts getting wrapped up into it, I feel like. I, I don't, obviously, like you said, it, it definitely risk when you think about it, not bringing your protagonist till way later, but it's, I love it so much because the world 
the world of Star Wars, I think, is what I love the most. It's just this crazy world that continuously is unfolded in front of us in every movie. Yeah, and, it, and it's one of those worlds that they they really tried to, at, at least in the original version of the Expanded Universe, which was Disney Legends, uh, which is now Disney-fied as Legends, um, and for good reason. Like, I, I don't I don't really blame that them taking that route uh, because the Expanded Universe, when, like, I was, like, deep, deep into it, like, back in 2005, leading up to Revenge of the Sith. I, like, had read every book I could get my hands on. I read, uh, you know, whatever comics I could get a hold of. Um, and I, I probably let, read still less than 20% of everything that was out there, not not even close. Uh, and that's all I would do on my study breaks in middle school is I'd, I'd read Star Wars novels. Um, and they would just be sometimes just about the most bizarre things, but people were so obsessed with fleshing out that world that it became almost confusing by the time it got to be by the time it got to the end of it it's like people would like any little character that you saw you could go watch the movies again you could pick every character go back to legends canon and whether it's a comic book a video game a novel you could find a story about that character that you blink and you'll miss them for a second and and they're they're back and in um, and they, some of them got whole novels written around them. Uh, sometimes, some, sometimes multiple part novels. Oh yeah. Um, and you would never know their name unless you bought the toy. Unless you bought the toy, <laughs> yeah. Or, or you know, obsessed over the credits. And even the credits were sometimes wrong. Um, and some of the time, sometimes the toys were even wrong. There's this whole. Uh, there's a toy. I forget who it is. I think it's 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 four L O M. It's one of like one of the bounty hunters in Empire yeah. Strikes Back was mislabeled in one of the initial toy runs um, as another character. And there was a certain amount of these that got out. And there was another one, I think, named, like, Snorkel, uh, which was just one of the background Ugnaughts in, in, in Empire. And that was mislabeled as well. And those toys, like, your mint-conditioned Darth Vader with the telescoping lightsaber, that's worth, like, 500 bucks, 600 bucks still in the box. One of those toys, because, like, of how obsessive the canon was about, like, you mislabeled the name of a character, only so many of them would get out. Yeah. And so these toys of background characters are worth like two thousand, three thousand dollars because there would be this rapid overcorrection of like, no, no, we have we gotta pull back everything, we gotta relabel yep. the back of the card because fans are just gonna skewer us for yep. not labeling the character the right way. Mint on card original seventies fucking figure, man, could you imagine? Uh, yeah, I still love how when uh, Kenner brought out the original line of Star Wars toys, they came with a little card that just said, hey, we're going to ship it to you when it's ready, couple of months, but hey, cool to open something, right? Opening things is tight. <laughs> Fucking brilliant. Honestly, like, to just with the little technology they had in the 70s, we're like, we, got a, we have a due date and we're going to miss it how do we get their money anyways and just make <laughs> accounts payable and it's that was fucking brilliant well, I, okay good no I, i'm good uh, <laughs> but uh well, the, the the um I, I back not not here not here in la but um uh back back in my my hometown i've uh, got in, in storage i have the original kenner early bird set get the uh, fuck out so i've got the darth vader folding toy toy play set it was a guy who, uh, yeah, it was back in the 70s. It was like a friend of a friend. Uh, just had all the Star Wars stuff. And he's like, okay, my wife's making me get rid of this. Um, do you want to just buy it up for me in like one... I was like 13 at the time. And uh, and so I pieced it all back together. And 
Yeah, it was like it was an intact Obi-Wan Kenobi, an intact Darth Vader. Um, the only things he wasn't willing to sell me were the Han Solo that was still in the box. The, yeah, he had a night. He had like all all this different stuff, and I, ha- I have a few of the original Return of the Jedi figurines that are still in the box uh, in that same same collection. So I like an original like Princess Leia, and if you like the background characters or that are still like sealed in the box that they came in with the original Kmart, uh, you know, handwritten price sticker stuck to the to the to the cardstock. Um, but yeah, the, the Kenner set, and there there was like there was a, a lot of uh, ingenuity into how they how they had to make the characters as cheaply as, as possible, and, and doing a, a toy line of that magnitude um, wasn't was unheard of for any other movie. You know, you do a few toys here and there, but the fact that like every single character that comes out is a potential toy marketing opportunity, aka the Ewoks. Um, <laughs> you could make slightly yeah, yeah. different variants on the Ewoks and you could sell the full Ewok set. <laughs> like, um, what yeah. was the, the Endor, the movie, Forest Moon to Endor set was just the Planet of the Apes set that they just kind of reskinned. Yeah, yeah. You know, I have to hand it to Star Wars in like the 70s and 80s. Like, I don't think I have seen a, uh, like, expanded universe line that is as ambitious or as lazy as Star Wars was. <laughs> Because they were like, oh yeah, we're going to try and... Exp- people love Star Wars the movie so much. We're going to expand to other platforms. We're going to make a Star Wars comic book. We're going to make Star Wars toys. We're going to do Star Wars novels. And it's like, cool, what's going to be in these comics? And they're like, I don't know, maybe Luke and Han fuck around with a green rabbit. I don't give a for shit. Like, <laughs> As long as they pay the four bucks for something that says Star Wars on it, old George is happy. <laughs> But this is one thing I did like about George Lucas when they had to like start adding more and more vehicles, and this is the top like it was a big thing. It's like they don't have a mid-sized vehicle for Star Wars, which I guess was an issue for toys. <laughs> um, but they're like, oh, can we start making stuff up? And he's like, yeah, like his. That's what I like killed me about like I don't know who made the announcement of like all the le- what is it what do you guys call it is the legends Star Wars legends like yeah legends expanded universe what yeah it should be called when they're just like no no longer can it which I mean there's a lot of shit so I get it. But still, like, that's one thing I loved about George Lucas as this, you know, creator and god of this, you know, universe was, I would love to hear what you guys would like to add to my story. Like, please, come add your toys to my sandbox. And it's just, I don't know, I felt like that's such a great way to, like, respect and have the fan base improve your property. Well, there, and there, there's, like, some pretty heavy measures that were allowed to happen in the original Expanded Universe. Uh, one, one material in particular, and this was, like, a Star Wars phenomenon in the, in the mid-'90s. Around about the time the special editions were coming out, they wanted to recapitalize on it. So they released a novel called uh, Shadows of the Empire. And Shadows of the Empire was... Uh, so, c- canonically speaking, the general rule is there's about two maybe three years that pass, maybe four that pass between the movies. Like, it's generally in that two to four year range. But Return of the Jedi is, is like, in a, in a 12 to 18 month range from Empire because they need to get Han Solo back as, as rapidly as possible. So they released this novel called Shadow of the Empire that was about that missing 18 months. Um, the big thing that was weird about it, though, is that it was a well-received novel, um, and they did everything with that novel except turn it in to a movie. They literally, uh, they, they followed up, they had Shadow of the Empire, the novel. Then it became Shadow of the Empire, the six-part comic book series. Then it became Shadow of the Empire, the toy line. 
where they would then take the, the, the writings from the comic books and then they turned those and translated them into action figures. And then they took that and they turned them into uh, a video game for the PC and N64. And then last but not least, they did Shadows of the Empire, the official soundtrack. So there was an official like 20th Century Fox style soundtrack with its own uh, poster art and everything. So you had all of the... So we had a solo Star Wars story in Rogue One and we couldn't get fucking Shadows of the Empire? Couldn't get Shadows of the Empire. Wow. I mean, I'm all for Childish Gambino slipping a Colt 45 in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon, but fuck, dude. I can't believe we missed that. Yeah, and it's just, it's just bizarre thing. And, and, nothing, and, and nothing really, like, followed... The PC game didn't follow the N64 game. Like, there was no... There was no canon that was followed. It's just they made it into a basic shoot 'em up. So it was like it wasn't like oh we're adapting the um, the novel because the novel is um, uh, they they had a character I'm blanking on the name I believe it was Dash Rendar, um, and he's like somebody that comes along to help get Han Solo back, uh, and he's generally well liked and and well received by the fan base. So when the games come out, they're like. We gotta figure out a way to like get him in the action right away. So the first level of the N sixty four and the PC game, where he happens to be parked in the hangar bay on Hoth, while the Battle of Hoth is going down, he just hops in a in commandeer, shall we say, a, a snowspeeder and joins the rebels. Hmm. Um, and so they're like, oh, he's been there the whole time, but that, that didn't happen in the novel. There was like nothing. So there's no like canonical expansion happening in in that so there was a lot of lack of consistency from medium to medium um so it even had that aspect of it because you don't you don't expect that consistency when you're basing it on a movie yeah because it's like we're just supposed to take the most video gameic levels of you know scenes from a movie and turn it into a video game but they were like oh we're going to take the most video gameic levels and then add on some stuff uh to make a video game and then they'd throw in fan favorite characters like ig88 and have an episode, you know, a, a level where you had to fight the the bounty hunter robot, and uh, and I think the Mandalorian did that better. Oh my god, <laughs> dude, that scene was amazing. Because that was the thing, I was just like, he was the least threatening bounty hunter in that lineup in fucking Empire, and I was just like, all right, um, I was like, cool, it's like got lamps from the cantina that moves right on, but man, when he started fucking walking down that village and just shooting everybody oh yeah man that was just oh. although i do still think my favorite uh ig88 story is um it's no longer canon which is probably for the best but it's a story where he like downloads his mind into the death star when they build the new one in return of the jedi he takes over the death star and he decides that he's just gonna start fucking with people so like he fucks with the emperor the whole time by like closing doors behind him and like turning on the sink when it's not supposed to be on like having the toilet like fly up at him and I guess his goal is to kill Han Solo using the Death Star so while he's like trying to like find where Han Solo is and bring the Death Star to that location he's just fucking with the Emperor the whole time and then I guess when the uh, Falcon does show up He's like, oh, fuck, yeah, I can finally kill Han. And then he dies, like, immediately when the Death Star blows up. Amazing. 
I love how somebody looked at IG-88 and was like, yo, we should make that guy take over the Death Star and not do anything cool with it, basically just play punked with the Emperor for This seems like three a robot months. chicken sketch to me, like... <laughs> no, yeah, apparently it was like a whole novel that's just a long robot chicken sketch. Fuck yeah. <laughs> and there's, there's tons of just weird... It's weird, weird little stories like that in there. Like, like the trash compactor monster has a backstory and a name. What is the name? Um, I'd have to I'd have to look it up. But totally it, fine. Yeah. It, it's like, um, but basically the whole reason why the trash compactor monster is taking Luke under the water um, is because it's a force sensitive creature and it's trying to baptize Luke in the ways of its people. It's just overjoyed. To meet Luke Skywalker, and Luke Skywalker responds by, you know, shooting it, <laughs> and uh, so that that the, supposedly they're like, oh, that's the greeting of it, and then they said something about, oh, the the creature had a a vision of an explosion, and it didn't connect until the the proton torpedo was going down the 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 Death Star that that explosion was the Death Star blowing up, and now it's in the Death Star, so it's like it's very morbid. Um, <laughs> This poor little squid guy just wanted to make friends. He's like, ooh, force. Yeah, not exactly sure uh, what what their goal was with that. Um, but, they, again, it was just this kind of, like, creative license to be, like, anything you want to give a backstory to, um, you can. And the only things you needed, like, special permission on was if you wanted to do something to a, uh, a, a canon character. Uh, so the one thing... Um, the one thing uh, that they had to ask permission for was in the expanded universe canon the only character who like actually perished uh, of the original bunch was, was Chewbacca um, and man, man they, yeah. they got those wrong <laughs> why'd you have to kill that lovable furball yeah. yeah I love how they killed everybody else so far <laughs> Yeah, yeah, man. Chewbacca both gets fucked in the old canon and makes out like a bandit in the new one. He's going to walk in all your fucking graves. <laughs> I wonder if somebody in like the new uh, Lucasfilm story department is like, Justice for Chewbacca. He's finally going to make it this time. Okay. Sorry, just to... to Please. Uh, Umi. 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 Aww. Yeah, the uh, the Diagna, which is the name of the creature, it was named Umi. They made him so cute and nice, man. Now next time we see him, like, aww. Well, how about that? So, yeah, but I love how, like, I love how, like, good they got with names until they got to the skull on a Mandalorian armor, and they're just like, Mythosaurus. Great. All right, on to the next one. We got uh, That's lunch, everybody. Yeah, yeah, no shit. Like, we got it for today, guys. That's, like, I feel like he was named on a Friday, for sure. Well, and even, like, the original characters were kind of, like, the, the names are iconic now, but the way that they uh, they pulled the name for some of them was, like, really weird. Like, R2-D2 is actually an editing reference. Oh, really? Yeah, so they were, he was, it was, um, I, I think it was, it was either THX 1138 or American Graffiti it was being edited while uh, George Lucas was writing Star Wars and he was talking with his editor and he said get me uh, R2 uh, D2 which is um, real to uh, I forget what the what the reference was it was used to be for, for an editor yeah. bench um, and he was like oh R2 D2 you know what I, I, I gotta remember that and so that's just where like the names he would just pick 
kind of at, at random yeah. named, named where they, they would come from. Um, Chewbacca was based on his dog. Oh. Yeah, he had a he had a giant giant dog at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so and and the dog drove everywhere with them. So it was like his co-pilot. Oh. So that, that he's like, oh, so what if there was just like a sentient dog that? <laughs> Stop making Star Wars cute. It was badass. Damn it, call it. When the dang thing is Chewbacca almost got the first movie shut down. Um, so this movie's like bleeding money at the time. Nobody can figure out how it's all coming together. They, they're like, this doesn't make sense. This piece of dialogue doesn't make sense. Harrison Ford is like on record as saying like, George, you can write this stuff, but you sure as shit can't say it. Um, but the studio was threatening to shut down the movie at one point because Chewbacca wasn't wearing pants. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, dude, wait until he can fucking return. (laughs) Like, we're going to have so many of these bastards out here. Like, and then, that's what kills me, though. It's just a budgetary thing gives us Ewoks. And, like, I'm not as mad as everybody as the Ewoks being, like, the crux of, like, helping the, you know, rebellion win, but I would have loved to seen Kashyyyk and just a bunch of fucking Wookiees just wreck house. Wait, and you know that's where their, their origin comes from, right? Please expand. So originally there was talks and like again this is like the telephone game of of star wars but of course whenever someone in the 80s heard a story about oh george is working on this scene they wrote it down and and everything because everyone wanted to know every little thing but supposedly the original plan was in return of the jedi it was supposed to be kashyyyk okay yeah and they started doing some uh some estimates of how costly it would be to have that many people in Wookiee costumes. <laughs> and so he was like, oh, darn. So he's like, well, what do we do? It's like, well, we cut them in half, and we, instead of calling them Wookiees, we call them Ewoks. <laughs> and that's where the name Ewok came oh, from. Oh, shit. Oh, Wookiee yeah. cut in half. Oh. <laughs> See, but I just, I love, I would have loved the comedic effect, because Leia, I don't think, ever liked Chewbacca. For her to be left alone on a planet full of fucking Wookiees would have been amazing. Yeah, yeah, like, just Wookiees, like, oh, come on. It's, yeah, it's like, I, th- I just got rid of one. Why is there, like, 12 more now? <laughs> when, and there was, like, a casual, like, throwaway joke that, again, what, Expanded Universe, no longer canon, and they, they changed it in Solo. So in Solo, they they, they had it be where, Ch- where Han speaks Wookiee, mm-hmm. and that's the whole reason that him and Chewbacca are always, like, talking to each other, and then everyone's like, oh, you can understand it? But in the uh, original canon, there got to be a scene where it was, uh, I can't remember, I think it was Leia was talking with Han about something, and um, somebody else says something else in a in, a, in an alien language in the room, and Han understands it, and she's like, what, what do you mean? And, and then he's like, oh, didn't I show you? And he pulled out, like, deep in his ear, he has a, a universal translator. Ugh. And she literally, like, it was either, it was Luke or Leia was like, are you serious? This whole time, <laughs> you just had a translator in your ear, and there's no, uh, you don't actually know Chewbacca's language. <laughs> so, yeah, they, uh, they uh, had to skewer him on that. Um, and actually, the, the circumstances, too, that they, that they used for Chewbacca to die in the original canon don't kill him well they he had a, the author had to write in because uh, so originally there was a where a lot of the the original expanded universe canon and ended was this group uh 
so they add, you know, increasing, increasingly big baddies are coming into the Star Wars universe. The remnants of the Empire, new dark Jedi, ghosts of Sith Lord. That was one other one where the, the temples on Yavin 4 that the Rebel base was based in was right. actually a Sith temple. And there was a ghost of a Sith Lord that could inhabit people. And, like, it was, it was actually kind of badass. At the, time. <laughs> the Kevin J. Anderson Apprentice of the Force uh, book series. Okay, so that's what I got to... So, like, I've been told, and I, you clearly as an expert... So I've heard that Siths can't have Force ghosts, or whatever you want to call them in as far as the dark side, but they can possess objects. It, it's kind of weird. So I, it depends on who's writing the canon. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I, I, there have been versions of it, but basically if you go by the, the Kevin, Kevin J. Anderson books and the uh, Knights of the Old Republic uh, video game series, Sith can make uh, temples that can keep their spirits alive. And then the spirits can, kind of like how Luke has that vision in the cave. Yeah. Where you make the place so thick with the dark side that, that it can it can come, the Sith can come back to life and like kill the fuck out of you if you're coming into its temple or trespassing or stealing its cable or whatever. Um, but you, you can't like, it, it can possess things, but it can't like quite, um, it can't quite leave, and so one of one of the 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 side stories or the main the main antagonist stories of the Kevin J. Anderson books is that there's a character that Han and, and um, Chewbacca rescue named Kip Duran. Kip Duran's like this. He grew up in the spice mines of Kessel, and Han and Chewbacca rescue him because the Falcon crashes there, and uh, there is a super weapon that is like was meant to be the follow up to the Death Star. Um, that actually, I think it, it looks stupid in all of the can- the canonical drawings that anybody's yeah. done of it, but it's actually kind of a more badass concept. It was a six-man ship that fired torpedoes that would make a sun go supernova, oh, Jesus. and then destroy the entire system that it was in. And the ship itself couldn't could withstand the the intensity of the sun. So Kip gradually starts to fall toward the dark side because he had a a brother who was. Uh, kidnapped by Imperial and being forced to be a stormtrooper and so once what he does is he's he it's called the Sun Crusher he takes the Sun Crusher he goes off to the Imperial base and he's like I demand my brother and the Imperials are pretty much like fuck off your brother's dead and so he's like well if that's the case he shoots the the, the torpedo and makes it go supernova and then they're like wait no 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 we, we just looked into our manifest he's still alive and they go to bring his brother up, and so he's extending the ladder for his brother to get on, and then the planet gets wiped out, and his brother gets taken with it. Oh. And he's he's safe inside this ship. God um, damn. So the dark story, um, and the whole reason that he like he goes to the to to the dark side because he starts getting infused by uh, I think it's Exarkun, who is this Sith Lord living in the in the the temples of Yavin. Um, and the Sun Crusher, once the Rebels discovered it, they were like, there's no way we're going to let anybody have this, yeah. even ourselves. So they put it in the core of the planet that Yavin 4, Yavin, the, 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 yeah. that, it, that it, uh, it surrounds. And he, with infused with the spirit of Exar Kun, goes up to the top of the, one of the temples and just like the whole sequence is written as he's imagining the ship in front of him and he pulls it out of the star and delivers it in front of him and goes to pick up his brother and then just goes one man war against the empire. Fuck yeah. So <laughs> see, see the reason I'm asking this is cuz like I feel like Darth Sidious 
um, even like almost like a Horcrux, like literally possessed Luke's lightsaber. So last time we seen it in the film is on what Cloud City, mm-hmm. and I know in older ones, I think Luke's hand gets found by the Emperor to start cloning him. I why couldn't he just find the lightsaber and possess that? And when they break it open, that's when he gets released. Then obviously, then it's who's Snoke? Is he actually connected? Yada yada. So we'll see what JJ has to do, but it's a theory. He well, the, and the yeah. Emperor did have an, like a Rick and Morty style immortal plan in the original, the mm-hmm. Dark Empire comic series, um, was actually based around the concept that the Emperor created backup clones of himself, uh-huh. and one of those clones, like a twenty, you know, twenty-five year old suave Emperor, uh, with that spirit imbued in him. Uh, starts to convert Luke to the dark side to do his bidding and uh, Luke and has his right hand which is Mara Jade and Mara Jade is uh, would eventually become Luke Skywalker's wife but she starts off as the secret apprentice of the Emperor so how Vader and the Emperor both did not trust each other uh, Vader had a secret apprentice named Starkiller and then uh, Emperor had the secret apprentice named Mara Jade and they were planning to like Use those to be like, we're going to take them out, and then that person becomes my new Vader. Yeah. So <laughs> Vader wanted to take kill the Emperor, and then the Emperor was like, yeah, I don't really trust Vader. So at some point, I, I might have to kill the fuck out of him, and then Mara Jade, she becomes my right hand. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's messed up. Like, <laughs> a lot of the expanded universe, like, nobody lives happily ever after, after Return of the Jedi. <laughs> Yeah, no, the amount of crazy stuff in the expanding universe is insane. But I, I did want to touch on one thing. I remember you mentioned that there was actually a newspaper serial, which I am just amazed by. So what was, was it like every Sunday they would like put a panel in the newspaper? Was it kind of like the Spider-Man one? It, it's a little bit like that. So you might remember kind of a, a throwaway, throwaway line from the beginning of Empire Strikes Back where Han Solo is like, uh, I'm leaving, and Leia's like, oh, well, I think it's safe for you now. He's like, well, the bounty hunter we ran into on Ord Mantel changed my mind. Uh, they have a whole series that was published uh, right after, it was designed to come out right after um, Empire called the bounty hunter of Ord Mantel. But the way that they did this, and, and it was considered a canonical series, I don't know if Disney uh, kept it uh, or not, but it was originally uh, a started being published in February, I need to get my facts here on this, February 1981 by the the Los Angeles Times. So you'd get it as like on your Sunday paper. It was the Bounty Hunter of Ormantel and it was a multi-part series. And then every so often what they would do is they would re-release it and find new ways to to go about re-releasing it. And the most recent, quote unquote, recent iteration of it is back before Revenge of the Sith came out. Uh, if you were a StarWars.com member, you could get it sent to you as, as in that weekly dose. Again, wow. as the Bounty Hunter of Ord Mantell serial. <laughs> and discover why Han Solo thinks that like people are out to get him all the time. Because people were out to get, get him, him all, all the time. time. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's really neat that that like, existed. You know, like I was saying earlier, like Star Wars, I think, is one of the earliest like transmedia properties where they were like... This is more than a movie. We're going to make a whole, like, interconnected universe using these different formats. And, yeah, I would have never thought, hey, Star Wars should have a newspaper comic, like... Fuck, yeah. Gotta have it everything. Everything's gotta be Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that they were able to pull it off, too, because I remember the Spider-Man uh, newspaper serial. Like, it's, it's decent. Like, it's still... 
is like very 60s inspired if you uh, find a newspaper that carries it today. But the plot of uh, Spider-Man, the newspaper comic, runs so smoothly and so uh, short and it takes forever for any action to be taken that it's actually in its own universe where it's still like 1965. Jesus. Right, yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. no, I remember um, if you've ever read um, the Spider-Verse, uh, the book series Spider-Verse, there's a part where they go to the Spider-Man newspaper comic universe and uh, Peter Parker is like, wait, why does everything take forever in this universe? <laughs> <laughs> and then I remember afterwards, they specifically have a scene with um, uh, the Master Weaver, who is like this guy, he's basically God, and he weaves the web of all these multiverses, and that's how they travel between them. And he, you just see him with the thread of the newspaper universe, and he goes... You know, I think I should spare them some agony. Oh. And he puts it to the side and he says, They will not cross again. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Spider Man. But it's paper. Yeah, it's crazy, like, just to imagine that like this was you know, something that a lot of people did, you know, if you were popular enough, you could have like a newspaper strip and people could be into it. Like there's a lot of people I've heard about who like only follow the newspaper. Spider-Man universe. The true purist. <laughs> the true purist, yeah. So I'm wondering, like, who was reading, you know, the bounty hunter of Ord Mandel back in the day? Like, was there some, you know, uh, 40-year-old man getting back, like, hugging his wife and kids, opening up the newspaper and going, oh, what's Han Solo up to today? <laughs> <laughs> I like to think someone did take those clippings and made their own little comic book. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Like, I think Star Wars is one of the other things you could do that with back in the day. And the fact that it told like an actual story that was supposed to bridge Empire and Return of the Jedi, that's fucking brilliant. Like, I'm all for it. Alright, so we've got a few minutes left. So I had one last question I want to ask the whole table mm -hmm. here. So, we're talking about a lot of Star Wars tie-ins. What's everyone's favorite or, like, most ridiculous Star Wars tie-in? I already talked about the IG-88 novel, but I want to hear yours, Alex. So, there's two, and um, this is right when Dark Horse um, got shut down. So, like, uh, this is when Marvel took... Okay, because it went Marvel, Dark Horse, and then back to Marvel, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so this is when, right before Marvel took it back. Um, and it was, I mean, and like everyone's heard the story a thousand times, but it's, uh, it's Darth Maul returning to his home planet, you know, obviously beat up and wounded and, you know, basically just completely humiliated. And so like, that was a series I was supposed to take off. I was super into that. And then there was another series going along with that. Um, it was really interesting. Um, but the one thing that always stuck out to me and they finally brought it in for the, the new series was a stealth X-Wing. And it was all black with just a red stripe. And I was like, this is so fucking metal. Like, I love this. <laughs> and then obviously Poe Dameron's is basically that. And I was just like, perfect, cool. But no, I always wanted to see where that Darth Maul series went. But, you know, thanks. Thanks to House of the Mouse. I'll never know. Oh, it got canceled because of Disney? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a shame, man. It's a real shame. Uh, let's pull one out for Darth Maul, guys. <laughs> Or at least half of one. That man go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this guy we have fun here. <laughs> Sorry, just to clarify, are you, are you talking you want most ridiculous or things that we want to see more of? Uh, either one. 
because uh, yeah, I mean the the weird. So the the Star Wars video games for a while got weird, and I just remember there was a there was a stretch of when the racer games were big. The I mean Episode One Racer Pod Racer. I feel like whether you saw it in the arcade N sixty four. You had it for the Game Boy Color, which is what I had it for. Somebody oh, somebody you knew, if you didn't know somebody, somebody you knew had that game. But a lot of people don't know they made a sequel to it called Star Wars Pod Racer 2 Racer's Revenge, or Racer's Revenge, or Sebulba's Revenge, in which Anakin, as a grown-ass man, goes back and re-challenges Sebulba to a new <laughs> race. And that's the story, and that's where they left it at. It's just it's Star Wars Racer reskin for the PlayStation 2 and GameCube. Um, they they know what happens to Anakin, right? They you know, just don't think about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and around the same time, they also came out with a game called uh, Star Wars Super Bombad Racing. Fuck yes, dude. This <laughs> game is my shit. Fucking love Bombad Racers. Uh, so they just sort of like, there was just a, it was one of those like, for the longest time, it was like, stop trying to make fetch happen in some ways where it was like, they were fun racing games, but it's like, what? When did Star Wars become a racing game? Thing <laughs> all of a sudden, it's like every single time, it felt like every every couple months you were getting a Star Wars racer game, um, and these really uh, games that we don't speak of, like Jedi Power Battles, <laughs> are just almost unplayable. <laughs> Dude, Bombad Racers was Mario Kart for the kid who didn't have a GameCube. That was my shit. And then I got a GameCube, but. Until that point, that <laughs> was, was my a shit. Decent substitute. <laughs> but yeah, but in, in terms of anything, I'd like to see more of. I mean, I, I'm. I would. I will never shut up about this. I would love to get another proper Knights of the Old Republic. Amen, brother. Um, the sequel was awesome back in 2004, but it was rushed out, um, and it just. It shows every time I've played it. It doesn't mean like I'm like ah, no, I don't really know about the sequel, but I've still played it and beaten it nine times. Like I, I you know, you, you crave it, you want more of it, and the old Republic isn't cutting it for me. I like it, but it's it not it's not cutting it for me in the way that like just that raw story of like, do you really want to know the truth about the Sith and the Jedi? Are you ready to fuck with this? Uh, can you <laughs> hand it? Can you dig it? Yes, I, I want more. <laughs> So I gotta ask, with that, um, would you keep the combat the same? Oh, like the the D and D style dice, yeah. like role play. Oh hell yeah! Really? I, I love uh, role play. I love like turn based combat, um, just because of the fact that for me, I was the kid that like I, I played shooters because all my friends played shooters. Uh, I enjoy them, uh, but I just love that where you can strategize while you're playing it. And there's like quicker modes to play the game. Yeah. Like you can play it faster. And Obsidian definitely expanded on it, but Obsidian, so the first game was like, won all these Game of the Year awards, like 80 Game of the Year awards, and then when the Knights of the Republic 2, the Sith Lords came out, it was incomplete for the console, because they had to rush it out. And they improved, I feel, upon the combat system and made it more, um, it's closer in a way to like how uh, Outer Outer Worlds and... um, later Obsidian games like Fallout New Vegas uh, were. Um, but but at the time, just the idea of like how much you could customize your character, how much you could really affect the outcome. Uh, and I, I could be wrong on this, and if there's anybody who can reply in a comment, 
to tell me how to fix this on the console, I would love to know. But <laughs> I played that game multiple ways, like nine nine different times. I played it as different genders. I played it as light side, dark side, neutral. Uh, I played it as I kill all my companions. I play it as I keep all my companions. And I can never get the ending to change. Oh, it yeah. always ends on the exact same scene. And it's like aggravating. Now the PC version fixed it and you can go and get patches to put it back together. But there was just so much lore and so much expansion to that universe. Like you go to Mandalore, you, you meet Mandalore, you hang out with the Mandalorians and you find out that they're this roaming tribe and wherever Mandalore is, that becomes Mandalore. And, um, and I really hope they use that for the new Mandalorian. Like it's just, there's so much from the, from uh, Couture that they can just, they can just take and apply to the Disney stuff and, you know, do it. You own the property, Disney, like do it shamelessly and and make your money. I like how they're slowly. It's like when they would reveal a new car and they might just show a wheel well, like every week or something, just like a little bit. They just give you a little peek every little every taste. Day. Little yeah. taste. First one's always free. <laughs> Not for Disney Plus. Oh yeah, they have the free week. Damn it. <laughs> Touche, Mister Malaki. Purpose is like I use my hard-earned credits on this. <laughs> Man, you know, it's funny. The one thing I would like to see more of, or I've always wanted to see this, so there was a um, a comic, like, right after Marvel got the license back, and it was a uh, it was a standalone comic. It was, uh, I believe, Charles Soule wrote it with art by Alex Nally, who is an incredible artist. Read his Daredevil books. They're amazing, and they look gorgeous. Um, but it was a Lando uh, novel, and it was, yeah. I believe, set between uh, A New Hope and Return of the Jedi, where he's, you know, the scoundrel, but he hasn't taken over Cloud City yet. And the whole book is about a heist that he's pulling, and he finds that it's a heist on the Emperor's ship. And so he's trying to steal these artifacts from the Emperor. And it's a really, really fun comic. It's, um, it's like Ocean's Eleven by way of Star Wars. Um, his assistant, like the robot guy from uh, Empire Loam is in it, and oh, he yeah. is also hilarious and a lot of fun. And I've always wanted to see that as a movie. Like, if you're going to bring Donald Glover back for anything... You do that. I think have him come back for that. Do, like, Ocean's Eleven in space. Have Lando rob the Emperor... That would be so cool. I fucking love anything to do with like the outlaw side of Star Wars. Well, and that's what I wanted Solo to be so bad was exactly that. It was an Ocean's Eleven in space, and it just yeah. Now, as uh, you love to say, decisions were made. Yeah, decisions were made. <laughs> Something I, I just wanted to bring. Right, since so you're bringing up Lando, uh, to reel it back around way to the, the beginning, uh, Jackson, aka Jax, that six foot tall rabbit did last long enough to be featured with Lando Calrissian. Um, and there, this is a dialogue exchange that happens between the two of them. Uh, Lando says, I hate to admit it, but I'm impressed. I underestimated you, Jax. And Jax, the, 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 uh, the rabbit, reply, replies with, uh, Don't sweat it, Calrissian. It happens all the time when you're a two-meter bunny. Just no more cracks about carrot juice, okay? <laughs> Good lord. I'm calling it now, guys. Jackson, <laughs> best character, 10 out of 10. Bring him back. I want the they new did. trilogy to just be about Jackson. They did bring him back. He is on a variant cover of one of the new Marvel comics with all with Darth Vader, Princess Leia, Han Solo, R2-D2 all shoving and holding a door shut and him on the other side pushing it like with his ears up against it saying, hello, anybody? I can hear you breathing. 
<laughs> trying to get into back into the Star Wars universe. <laughs> oh my God, this needs to happen. All right, we need to bring Jackson back, guys. All right, justice for Jackson, the Star Wars buddy. Bucky O'Hara cannot be the only green sci-fi rabbit in existence. We need to bring this guy back. <laughs> and then Mandalorian to shoot him. <laughs> it's like, hey guys. I mean, they did the Life Day reference, so that to throw away. And for mm. any of us who actually did sit through and watch the entire holiday special, <laughs> got a pirated copy of it when I was a kid. You learned. You know. You learned your lesson. R.I.P. R.I.P. And the holiday special just makes me also want them to bring Jefferson Starship back into the Star Wars canon, all right? I want... To just know and be secure in the knowledge that Luke could listen to We Built This City at any time he wants. <laughs> the first 40 minutes are just grunting. It's literally just Wookiees grunting at each other. And then it goes into musical numbers. There's at least three musical performances uh, in it. Um, Carrie Fisher does a solo at the end. Yeah. Uh, Chewbacca's okay. father watches what B. I'm Arthur. pretty sure is Wookiee porn. All right, I got one for you guys. Turtles out of shell tour, Christmas special Star Wars. Ooh. Which one do you throw in the fire? You have to watch the other one. You don't. Christmas special Star Wars. Damn. Wait, you're burning that one. Yeah, coming out of their shells tour is a dumpster fire, but it is also a hilarious dumpster fire. Like the one thing I will give it is it's not boring. <laughs> so let actually let let let's reel it around just one one quick second here to to. These are both real things. Yes. So yeah. um, we're gonna we're gonna say holiday special, but to keep it to the theme of Star Wars, holiday special or Ewoks on Ice. Ooh. Ewoks on Ice, genuine live touring show Ooh. based on the Ewoks cartoon series that was also a thing. Um, Wait, did this went on tour? This went on tour not as the Ewoks from Return of the Jedi, as Ewoks from the cartoon, cartoon. series. The simplified, because it was hard to make Ewok costumes, but they were like, we could make cartoon Ewok costumes based on the Star Wars Ewoks cartoon series. Uh, and they performed on ice. Good. Yeah, whatever that is. You that actually sounds amazing. No. I'm still putting the holiday special in the fire. No, you, you right, take yeah. that and you put that next to Darth Vader as you burn it on Endor, because it should not exist. <laughs> as should the two... They're not one, but Stop. two live-action Ewok movies. Stop calling, telling me this... Just stop it. <laughs> You're like the trash compactor monster just pulling me in. Stop. I was fine. I was fine above the trash. Don't drag me into it. The cantina band is playing a type of music called jizz. <laughs> That's called jizz. They are jizz whalers. That is Jizz whalers. Is it just whalers? Like, I think you were the one that told me that. that was, oh uh, my Mac god. I always forget that's what they're actually called. Yeah, Max Rebo be damned. The Jizz Whalers are the ones that are going to take the world by storm on Tatooine music scene. Well, do you know what the Power Rangers were called in Japan? The Jew Rangers. That's literally the name of the show, was Jew oh Ranger. Obviously, you know, Japanese being Japanese and not actually referring to the Jewish community, but. They were known as Jew Rangers, as where they took that all that like footage from. You you've you've heard too that they just they took all the action yeah. footage from the Japanese show and then they cut in the American scenes. Mm -hmm. But have you seen the original with with the so the White Ranger in the original is actually like a thirteen year old kid. Oh really? Yeah. 
And yeah, because that, that's the thing is like the green and white ranger are two very different things, but they just made it the same guy. Yeah. Just for the sake of retconning, and then yeah, the yellow one's a dude, but they made a chick. That's why the yellow Power Ranger doesn't have a skirt like the pink one. Yeah. And then and it was so funny. I thought after that because I I thought after that they just made their own footage. No, the they, reason they just re- kept redoing it is because they just had different, you know, rangers. Like, in Japan, they just kept doing it. I had no fucking clue. If I remember correctly, like, Power Rangers is based on, like, a Japanese, like, TV show with the same premise, and apparently to this day, they still just take the action scenes and then cut in American actors. Yeah, I just learned that. I thought they kept going. So was the Toys That Made Us just came out with uh, their third season, and they talk about the Power Rangers, and I thought it was just the first season. Every season. You gotta love both their ambition and their laziness, much like Star Wars. Yeah. And uh, I think that's as good of a point as I need to wind down this conversation. Uh, Colin, is there anything you would like to plug before we head out? Um, no, I'm, I'm you know, I'd probably go plug in a light at some point sometime <laughs> soon, you know, get the lights back on in this place, but yeah. All right, guys. Well, he runs awesome shows at the Alex Theater in Glendale. If you are in the area and you want to check out some cool events that they have there, please go on their website. They have a ton of cool stuff. I remember I saw some comedy specials there. They just had a really cool uh, live D&D event, I think. So plenty of nerdery to go around. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And then, uh, you know, he's AED and CPR certified if you ever need help. Sorry, what? (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) <laughs> oh he's a he has a wonderful house manager uh if you're looking to poach him yes <laughs> seriously though no he we I, I when i was working with bring the funny we had the pleasure of working yeah. with colin and i got to leave early because he was working there and was just doing my job way better so nbc don't ever hire him because i want to keep my job <laughs> we run a tight ship <laughs> you, you guys NBC? <laughs> i mean if you're ever interested man <laughs> just uh, not my job guess, right? Well, in that case, uh, we will see you next time. I'm Max. I'm Alex. I'm Colin. Yeah, and uh, we are going (laughs) to turn this starship around. Keep it cool, kids.